Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to this edition of Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. In this episode, we're diving back into our archive to November 2018 in our Composer Focus series, when baritone Roderick Williams joined us to talk about 20th century composer Benjamin Britten. Hello and welcome to this Barbican classical podcast with me, Edward Sekerson. I'm here at the Barbican with baritone Roderick Williams to talk about Benjamin Britten. Roddy, um, a complex and often contradictory character, a, a gay man in time of intolerance and illegality, a pacifist in time of war, um, and an intensely private man who nonetheless courted the establishment. It's quite an interesting contradiction there. What, what do you make of him? Well, I think the first thing is that I come to him with my composer's hat on rather than a singer's hat. And I think he was the composer who first first woke me up to classical music, in a way, as a, as a, as a teenager. Um, so I responded directly to, uh, to his style, his harmony. And then I also responded directly to his setting of English. Mm. So he was a composer who, who set words that I understood uh, so you know, when I was listening at home with my with my family, um, you know, having the radio on, classical radio on, when his music came on, people were singing in English, and I understood what it was about. Midsummer's Dream, for example, is one of the first um, operas of his I got to know through my parents' record collection. There's, you know, as a as a teenager, the fact that his name is synonymous with our country as well, something that just just chimed for me, and. And I thought this is this is someone who kind of belongs to me to us. Mm. He, he was um, first and last a, a great word setter. Mm-hmm. I mean that's what and arguably, well I think he is the greatest opera composer of the twentieth century. Yeah, a particularly dramatic dramatic sense. I, I've listened to many great operas by other twentieth century twenty first twentieth century writers. I very rarely shed a tear in them. But in all Britain's operas, before I was a, a, an opera singer myself, but just as a listener, 
Mm -hmm. um, I was caught up in his stories, and he knows, uh, it, it, almost Puccini-esque, he knows, he knows the right moment to turn the screw, mm -hmm. if you pardon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> pardon Tremendous that. theatrical instincts. And, yes. and, you know, that, that's a contradiction in itself, because by all accounts, he was a very inhibited man, yeah. and yet here is this very uninhibited, yes. red-blooded theatrical music. He really did have a nose for the theatre. Yes, yes. And in fact, if you, if you turn that on its head, it, it takes someone uh, 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 of his contemporaries, Michael, Sir Michael Tippett, who was a very flamboyant man, a very open to justice, and yet his, his operas are, are, are incredibly tightly bound in a very undramatic way. So I think that's what you, it's very interesting that you, you um, point out about Britain and, and his personal life and his personal demeanour that he wasn't able to express himself openly on a, on a, on a public mm. stage. Mm. stories about him um, being unable to witness premieres of his own pieces, particularly mm. the Opera House, for example, and just you know, pacing up and down outside, just, and I'm able to bear the, t the tension of it. And again, as a composer, I, I know the, um, the joy of other, hearing other people interpret your, your music. It's a wonderful thing. I want to be in the room when that happens. Mm. The idea of, of excusing myself and being next door while mm. it's going is <laughs> just extraordinary. Well, he was very um, susceptible to criticism mm. by all accounts. He took it very personally. Mm -hmm. Now, as a composer, you, or, and indeed as an artist, yeah. um, you just can't, can you really, in a well, funny uh, sort of way? One can't really uh, allow oneself to... to because criticism is a, is, a, is, a, is a very useful thing, uh, um, but it depends how it's delivered and from whom it's delivered. So um, when he would receive criticism in a public forum, in other words, newspapers... Um, um, sort of open letters, as it were, of people um, um, uh, shouting his music down, his ideas down. Of course, that's extremely hurtful. Mm. Um, when someone comes up to him and offers him something person to person, that's an easier thing to, to, to mm. take. So, um, mm. Let's look at the amazing collection of theatre works um, through your eyes. So mm. Billy Budd and, and Rape of Lucretia are two mm -hmm. roles, are two operas that you are in your repertoire. Yes, yes. Um, as a singing actor, what does Britain give you? Well, in The Rape of Lucretia, he gives you a character in Tarquinius um, who, uh, who, who has a journey throughout that piece. He gives you a, a chance to get inside um, a, a rapist. Uh, uh, but actually, he's, a, he, he's that on the, on the cover of the music as The Rape of Lucretia. But actually, it's a chance to, to try and work out what drives this man in this hot night when he's quite drunk. What um, causes him to 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 do something about this fixation he's had, and he has the other characters, um, Julius in particular, to try and stir him on. Mm -hmm. That's a, a wonderful journey, uh, uh, a very interesting. When I say wonderful journey, wonderful journey is a rapist. What I mean to say is, um, it's a very interesting dramatic um, uh, gift, opportunity to try and take something that on the, on the face of it is just evil and try and give it human form, as it were. Is the subtext there for the taking, do you reckon? Yeah. Because, again, this nose for theatre that he had. 
Yes, I think so. It's a, it's a very interesting libretto as well, and, and, and Britain, um, in, in his, um, his well-documented to and fro with librettists, is, is often to say, I need this, I need that, give me more. Uh, um, he, but he was very specific about what he needed, so he mm. obviously had an idea of how to try and mould human characters. Mm. And, um, again, the libretto is very interesting in building um, Tarquinius's relationship with, with this older woman, with whom he's fixated at the beginning, and his first, his first thought when she comes up is, "I will prove her chaste," because in his mind she's chaste. He's not, he's not taking on a bet. For him, she is a paragon of virtue. But there's something about that hot night um, and the, this, the, this proximity to her that that drives him to do something that he hadn't con- contemplated at the beginning of the show. <laughs> if you were a tenor you'd have um, he'd have given you even more yes um, yeah. now there's his life partner Peter Pierce yes. obviously um, was a grateful recipient of his work um, but he wrote so specifically for his voice that um, uh, and that particular physiognomy of that voice you know where the break was yes, yes. that tenors the world over subsequently have you well, sometimes had problems with it. Yes, but fortunately, also since the since the, the glory days of Peter Pears and, and Benjamin Britten's recordings of them for Decca, since those days, then enough tenors have come through to to um, explode that that sound world for for current tenors, um, uh, uh, my peers and my uh, my friends, to to be able to set it on without fear. And I'm thinking of um, John Vickers' recording of um, Peter Grimes, for example, as being such a completely different take on, on it that now, um, in our, my most recent performance of Grimes, for example, is with the Australian um, uh, uh, tenor Stuart Skelton, who's in the kind of Vickers mould, but is, has also the... Um, a different sort of musical background so that he can take on the... Um, uh, the sort of subtlety of, uh, for example, a Philip Langridge interpretation. So he does the Philip Langridge interpretation, but with a, with a John Vickers voice, for example. Yes. So now, it, it's open season, I think, that, uh, for tenors. I think they all rest a bit more easily because of yes. that. But fortunately for me, there are enough baritone roles in those operas, and I'm thinking particularly of the, um, the, 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 the Death in Venice, for example, which is a tenor vehicle. But... Also, with that comes this gift of so many different roles for mm. the baritone. I mean, it's a, it, literally a change of hats, um, which is also a wonderful thing to, yeah. to, to play. It's, um, a, it's a staggering masterpiece, yes, I think. Yes, yes. Really yeah. staggering. Yes. Theatricality of the song cycles as well. I mean, do you ever wish you were a tenor so you could sing um, Serenade and Les Illuminations? Oh, do, you, do you know, it, 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 no, it has never occurred to me. Those are, those are pieces I got to know really well as uh, an audience now I just I've loved my recordings of those uh, many different recordings and I've loved hearing the tenors uh, sing them mm. um, uh, so whereas actually quite a I think all of Britain's voice and piano songs are now published in transposition 
Um, you win some, you lose some in that, in that, that sort of game. But something like the Serenade, obviously, with the, which is so um, tied up with instruments and their particular resonance at that pitch, um, I'm thinking of the horn in particular uh, for the Serenade, it's impossible to try and transpose that. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though, I am so happy that um, Britain's uh, professional relationship with Fisher Discal led to the Songs of Proverbs, because at least we baritones get that one uh, cycle. Obviously, I sing um, uh, folk songs in transposition, that's, mm-hmm. that's fine. But the songs on Proverbs is something that had lain on my shelves for some time, and I was a bit um, uh, uh, reticent, a bit cowardly about them, uh, taking it off the shelf and actually learning them. But when I did, I found this extraordinary masterpiece. I remember a particular performance of that. We, did it, we ended the first half with it, and I came off stage, and my blood was boiling. I was fizzing, and I couldn't go back on. To, um, to you know, there was a pianist, there was Ian Burnside saying, "Come on, Roddy, come on, with you know, let's go back on and take another bow." I couldn't do it. I couldn't mm-hmm. face them. I was just I was locked mm-hmm. in this in this area, this this area that William Blake starts and then Britain completes and just end up introspective and just curling yourself. Oh, it was mm-hmm. it was it was an amazing experience. But, yeah. One of the things that always um, strikes me about Britain, um, and there's this kinship with Dmitri Shostakovich that mm-hmm. that developed. And I think they are similar in one respect, and that is that they achieve extraordinary effects and great atmosphere with so little mm. on the page. Yes. When you look at Serenade, yes. um, or you look at Shostakovich's 14th Symphony, yes. um, there's, there's very little there, and it's staggering what they achieve yeah, with it, yeah. isn't yes. it? Yes. Yes, it's actually. I'm, I'm, you're talking about the serenade. I also think of the nocturne. Um, uh, yes. Uh, with instrumental movements for each player, and then all together at, at the end. And it's as though he takes he takes a look at an instrument and says, oh, "I wonder what that can do." Mm. And before you know it, he's written the definitive piece for that. Actually, my my younger brother, uh, um, uh, when he was at school, he was a very gifted classical guitarist. So he learnt the guitar for nocturne that. Um, uh, Britain wrote for Julian Bream, which is, is again the defining piece for classical guitarists. You know, if you're a classical guitarist of any worth, at some point you've got to look at that. And also, a friend of mine was an oboist, and he wrote the Metamorphosis for Ovid. Again, the defining piece for oboe solo. It's just, and his harp writing for Ossianellis, for example, is, is yeah. kind of that Britain harp sound is a defining sound. Uh, so I, I'm in awe again of him as a composer, looking at the at instruments and thinking, you know, oh, I think I'll write a, the definitive piece for, <laughs> for Indian notes or whatever. And you can also hear because he conducted as well, and you can you can hear in Nocturne certainly Gustav Mahler, um, in the way those instruments, those solo instruments, he used as a night piece. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. And um, so there were there were lots of other influences there as well. If you had to choose a handful of pieces, you mentioned one or two, Roddy, mm. but um, which are the, the pieces that you couldn't live without of Britain's? Well, I think the Grimes is, is definitely there. Peter Grimes is there, not least the, um, the sea interludes, partly because they remind me of what comes next. You know, when one finishes, I have the, the rest of the scene coming on in my mind because I've been in productions of it. Partly also because um, Fiddler Deloitte's Opera North production, she set um, those scene interludes rather than just bring the curtain down and have the scene change. I remember. She, uh, she employed us to change the scene for her, you know, <laughs> double time. And 
I, I remember the images, um, there's a moonlight interlude uh, where she asked Jeff like Roberts, who's a, who's a big lad, she asked him to deadlift this boy, this young chap they'd found. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't, don't remember his name. He's probably in his 20s now, but um, he did dead so well. He just he, he dropped off a cliff and he just was just laying on stage. And in the moonlight, Jeff came and just picked him up, brought him to the front of the stage. And at the climax of that interlude, Jeff, Jeff just sort of hoisted him straight up into the air, into this single um, um, uh, shaft of light. And we were all of us in the wings watching every night because this image was just so arresting. So that is, the, the, the interludes are one thing I would keep for the instrumentation as much as anything. But then, then I'd need to grab hold of Billy Budd as that goes past as well. I think the... Um, because it's a because it's a baritone title role, that's something I, I really enjoyed investigating when I, I did that a couple of years ago. Wonderful production by my sister-in-law, Arthur Phelan. Um, it's very good to keep these things in the family. <laughs> and she had a very good version of it. But uh, one of the things she did beautifully was set the interlude again between um, uh, the captain's... Uh, uh, the first time we meet Captain Veer and his officers, when that scene changes to the gents below deck, going to see Shanties is a beautiful interlude that gradually morphs into this uh, blow her away and it's, I've got to feel a, uh, 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 hairs back, back of my neck now and that's just one of those astonishing moments how a composer could write not one but two operas about the sea and that, can, you, can, you, can you probably include Death in Venice as the third one as well all about the sea and the water and things like that and have them so totally different one is about the Albra coast the other one is about the the mist and the open waters, you know, off the off the the coast of um, of Europe, and they sound completely different, but they are both about the sea. That that how he did that, I think, is astonishing. joins us to discuss the life and works of composer Gustav Mahler. Only when you start to go to the extremes, whether it's the extreme of the pastoral, lyrical qualities, dreaminess, and not only going to the dark side, but probing, that God, you know, like putting your finger in a wound and keeping it there. And therefore the music, in a certain way, hurts, and it's supposed to. Until then, thanks for listening to this archive edition of Nothing Concrete from the Barbican. You can subscribe on Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And, if possible, leave us a review to help us inspire more people to discover and love the arts. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.